There's, there's actually a, a talk, a TED's talk, that I found to be very funny, and, and I liked it, by um, Charlie Todd, called The Shared Experience of Absurdity. And a few years back, he actually took it on as a mission that he wanted to do, is to, in a sense, bring joy to people by catching them off guard with the absurd. Spontaneous moments of the bizarre amidst the mundane with the hope that they'd bring joy and laughter. And I thought, you know, if I'm going to talk about joy, why don't we maybe experience some? At least I did when I watched this. The next project I want to show was given to me in an email from a stranger. A high school kid in Texas wrote me in 2006 and said, you should get as many people as possible to put on blue polo shirts and khaki pants and go into a Best Buy and stand around. this high school kid back immediately and he said yes you are correct I think I'll try to do that this weekend thank you so here's the video so again this is 2005 this is the Best Buy uh, in New York City we had about 80 people show up to participate uh, entering one by one we had uh, there's an 8 year old girl a 10 year old girl there was also a 65 year old man who participated so a very diverse group of people I told people, don't work, don't actually do work, but also don't shop. Just stand around and don't face products. Now, you can see the regular employees by the ones that have the yellow tags on their shirt. Everybody else is one of our actors. The lower-level employees thought it was very funny, and in fact, several of them went to go get their camera from the break room and took photos with us. A lot of them made jokes about trying to get us to go to the back to get heavy television sets for customers. If you were to watch a little bit further, it so unnerved the actual manager, the people who were overseeing the store that day, that they called the police and the police came. And the police came to them and said, you know, there's no law against wearing blue shirts and khaki pants. Well, you're probably wondering why I showed you these, but um, I just love how easy it is to bring joy to the mundane. We live in a world all around us. You live with people, you work next to them, you, you go by them when you buy groceries or you're at a gas station. And people's lives are so often so filled with tension and so filled with all the things that they think they need to do and get done and all the things they need to think they should control and all the things going on in their life that they just, wouldn't it be great if we were bringers of joy? If we were the kind of high five people that we're in a place where we could actually serve others because of the joy that fills our heart and soul. I want you to imagine with me God, the God of the universe, unveiling his plan to bring joy to this little planet Earth. It's a pretty absurd plan. It's a shared universal experience of absurdity. Eternity will enter into time. The infant will be contained by a finite little baby to poor teenage virgin. And Jesus says to the angels as he's sharing this, we'll call him Jesus. Which you may not know, it was a very, very common name in that day. Everyone calling their sons Jesus because it had to do with the name Joshua, which meant to be the one that would save. And they were all hoping that maybe this could be the one, our kid. And you can imagine excitement. You can follow as, as God is kind of saying to his angels, I'm fine with all of you. You can, you know, stay hidden, but you can follow me, you know, my spirit down to earth. <clears throat> you can watch of earth, but no videos, no photographs. 
And after that, I want you to find a bunch of shepherds, a few of you. I'll sign one of you, Gabriel. I want you to say, and you announce this message to these shepherds in the field that night about the birth of my son. And then what I really, I'd really, i like for you guys to do is kind of unveil the angelic choir. And when that choir is unveiled, burst into song and give these guys a start. Listen to the story in Luke chapter 2, verse 8 through 15. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. They saw the birth. They came over and announced it. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, singing, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. And when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. Christmas is about joy. And there really are plenty of reasons for every one of us to miss this joy in this season. To miss it throughout our lives. You know, out of work. The thoughts of dysfunctional family coming to visit, or your family, which is dysfunctional, going to visit them. Um, Overwhelmed with busyness. Bothered by insensitive bosses, co-workers. Broke with nothing to give. Loss of a loved one. Family not home for Christmas. And we could just list all the things that could make Christmas joy evaporate from your life. And I believe God designed this as a time to experience joy. And I really want us to call us to, 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 to experience that. And to, as best we can, live that. It's a joy that's above and beyond all the natural reasons I've just listed and more reasons you could give for sadness or for worry. It's a joy that's really out of the reach of Grinch himself. It's a joy that comes from God. Have you ever reflected on how many Christmas carols that we sing speak about joy? Joy to the world. Oh, come all ye faithful, what? Joyful and triumphant. Shepherds, why this jubilee? Why your joyous strains prolong? Good Christian men, what? Rejoice. Joyful all ye nations around, joy the triumph of the skies with angelic host proclaim. And here's why. Here's, here's the reason beyond all reasons. Christ is born in Bethlehem. It's the story of Christmas. Christ the Messiah, the anointed one, the promised ruler, the one who would come in the line of David has arrived. And joy is a gift I think God wants you to to know and experience. And he's not asking us to turn a blind eye, to live in denial, but to look reality in the eye, even the tough things in our life, and know that there is a greater reality based on a much deeper hope than what you see around you. To experience joy this Christmas, I just want to suggest you to think about three things that you kind of focus your heart and mind on. 
Because there is a hope that brings joy in the midst of the most mundane, routine, busy, broke, bothered, overwhelmed, underutilized, unappreciated, insignificant, and unhappy situation that anyone here might be in. And for those of you who are not in that place, I just encourage you to make sure your joy is in Christmas and not in the circumstances, because as they say, life happens. So first, find joy in life's disruptions. There's an opportunity to find joy in life's disruptions because of the hope and the basis of what we know in Christ. William Willman, he was the dean of the chapel at Duke University, wrote, when he looked at the story of Christmas, he said, Christmas is a delightful disruption of the way things normally go. I like that phrase, delightful disruption. Christmas is a delightful disruption of the way things normally go. I like that phrase, but I'm not really good at applying it in my own life. I am not one who finds the experience of disruptions very delightful. Seriously, I, I like my office door closed at work. I like to move on to my next appointment, and on my agenda, I like to complete a project without interruption. I'm the kind of person that when I'm out at a restaurant and I'm deep in talk with someone, it bothers me when the waitress or waiter or whoever comes up and asks, you know what I mean? Anybody like that? Oh, yeah, we got a few. I'm easily annoyed at disruption. But disruptions are a part of life. In fact, even God designs those things, and he designs in some ways when he's in this Christmas story we talk about, he finds them delightful. Again, if you read verses 8 through 12, And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. And the angel said to them, Hey guys, don't be afraid. You don't, don't move to fear in this disruption. One moment they're tending sheep. It's in the middle of the night. I mean, they're nearly asleep. You know how you are when you're nearly asleep. And then all of a sudden you're disrupted. They're nearly asleep, and the next moment, they're scared out of their wits by this bright light angel with this booming voice shouting out an announcement. And then second later, all the lights go on as this white-robed, full-voiced choir begins to sing. And I believe it was a choir that, that probably made the Mormon Tabernacle Choir look like a primary school holiday production. Seriously, think about it. Voices of God, the angels. And this disruption filled them with fear, but they're told to be joyful. The disruption that may have occurred in your life as you begin to think about what that disruption is may fill you in a sense with a panic or a sense of fear. Or you may be in this place of worry and, and you're trying to go on, but wait, and, and God, I believe, comes like he did then. He says, you know, don't be afraid. This is what turned their fear to joy, the simple message of, of hope. It's this childlike hope. This Jesus, this anointed one, the king you've been waiting for. Basically, this God is in charge of your life. This God has come into this world. He's grabbed hold of this world and he's making himself known. That which you've hoped for all your life has made himself known. And he's in charge. So how do you deal with disruption? Do you find them delightful? Do you hear them with dread? Are you annoyed? What if God was leading you like he did to the shepherds to a place of awe through this disruption? A place where you might see him work in a way you never would have. What if your attitude was like that of the shepherds who with curiosity said, let's go and see this thing that the Lord is pointing us toward. 
And in order to do that, there has to be a sense with the disruption where you go, I'm going to take in a, I'm going to be joyful in this because in this process, God is doing something and he is leading me to something and he's doing something as well in my own heart in the process. But it calls for you to be in that willing place. So let's say your life has been disrupted. I ask you to think, can you find joy in your interruption? Could God be leading you something unique just for you because he loves you? God is intervening even in this, and you may not even understand it. The second thing I want you to think about is not just the disruptions. I want you to think also because disruptions can also lead to great disappointment. There are some of those that you just can't understand. So I'm going to encourage you not only finding joy in life's disruptions, but finding joy in life's disappointments. You may not realize it, but in the first Christmas story, there were a number of disappointments as well. Some of those disruptions, while you look at the shepherds, it wasn't really one that left the, led to disappointment. It was more just an interruption that could have been annoying that scared them. Some of these around the Christmas story brought great disappointment. If you look again at chapter 2 of Luke, and you read this Christmas story, and you read verses 1 through 5 in the light of what was going on in the heart of Joseph and Mary, it, it gives you a sense of what that disappointment could feel like. It says, about that time, Caesar Augustus ordered a census to be taken throughout the empire. And this was the first census when Quirinius was governor of Syria. Everyone had to travel to his own ancestral hometown to be accounted for. So Joseph went from the Galilean town of Nazareth up to Bethlehem in Judah, David's town, for the census. And as a descendant of David, he had to go there. He went there with Mary, his fiancée who was pregnant. Think about it. Joseph and Mary had just dealt with the disruption of what they hoped would be the perfect wedding. Just about eight months prior, maybe um, more than that. And their year-long celebration of engagement, which they hoped would end in marriage, was disrupted again by some news where an angel says, Mary, don't be afraid. You of all women are blessed. Here's the good news. You're pregnant. Normally for a 15-year-old virgin, that's not good news. It's the kind of disruption that I believe in a lot of lives might lead to a place of, of deeper fear and disappointment and eventually despair. Ellie Weasel, the survivor of um, the Holocaust, writes, Whenever an angel says, be not afraid, you better start worrying because a big assignment is on the way. <laughs> So Mary is given this assignment, and Mary had to work through Joseph's reaction. The wedding's almost called off. Mary and Joseph weather, the, the, they weather months of a storm of negative publicity of people laughing and mocking, saying, yeah, they, Mary saw an angel, and, and Joseph seeing angels in dreams, and somehow they got high, uh, by the most high, got pregnant, and you, you know, you can all the jokes about what kind of high they were really on, all that stuff. And now fairly far along in their pregnancy, some heralds from Rome enter into the market square in Nazareth and announce Caesar Augustus decrees a census to be taken and everyone needs to pack up and head to your hometown. Now, every woman who has been pregnant and every man who has had with them a wife who is pregnant can imagine that kind of disappointment. 
Mary being seven, eight months pregnant, she has to pack enough to move to Bethlehem. She has to leave her doctor and midwife that she's become comfortable with. Hope their health plan is going to work in Bethlehem. They have to travel for weeks walking and if lucky, maybe riding on a donkey. And I can't imagine that being a really good ride. I remember my wife was pregnant with our second child and I came home. It was a Palm Sunday and, and she stayed home and she, she was there and she looked at me and it said, it's time to go. And so I said, great. And got her into our nice, bigger, plush Bonneville, which had these kind of velvet seats and everything. And I went to turn on the car and it was empty. I know. <laughs> Please forgive me. So we drove in my little Tercel stick shift, and I was nervous. Now, so riding a donkey, I'm not too sure. And they get there, and they have to find a home in Bethlehem. And on and on the list goes. Tell me that this disruption couldn't lead to incredible disappointment. Where do you find joy? This first Christmas. I got a call from a friend not just not long ago who shared with me the news just a few weeks here before Christmas that uh, the test they had shows that they have low-grade cancer. Now, how do you receive that without fear? When he shared with me with a very worried voice, he said, you know, life is good. I'm financially secure. I have a great wife. I have a relationship with God like I've never had. Honestly, Kevin... I've never enjoyed life so much than this disappointing news. And as I prayed with him and then I talked to him a few days later and he said, you know, one of the things he was asking me for some wisdom, I said, I shared with him. He said, while he was praying and reading before he went in for the actual diagnosis where it was low grade cancer, he was reading God's word. He said a few days before his diagnosis was given, he heard these words in his heart or mind or wherever you hear this thing. And he said he heard it clearly. He heard this, everything is going to be fine. The fine was not that the tumor was benign, but that it was a low-grade form of cancer. And the everything is going to be fine is the same Christmas message, this good news that God's in charge. God has intervened. He intervened like he said he would. God came to this earth to begin to make that which was wrong right, to begin to start to move things into a place where his spirit would have control of people's hearts and lives and that he would do things in their lives and prepare them for for what this heaven could be now and for what this heaven would be for eternity. So this Christmas, you may be facing not just some disruption, But you may be facing this kind of disruption that leads to great disappointment. And the news comes as a husband comes home and says, honey, we're moving. I've been transferred. Or the boss walks into your office and says, got some news today. Our company was purchased and we'll have to see how this all turns out. Or a wife says to her husband as he walks through the door, dear, you know, Kelly's tryout. She she didn't get selected for the part. Or coach. You know, Justin, you're just not you're not going to make the team. Or Jennifer opens the mail and gets another rejection from graduate school. You go to your 10th interview and they tell you you were close, but, you know, we're just not going to go your way. How do you find joy in the face of disappointing news? And there's only one way I know. 
And it's Jesus. This Jesus born a king. This Jesus who rules over all. This Jesus who proclaimed to all this supreme truth that God is in charge. He rules well through all who are open to his rule in their lives. And it's really interesting. I was reading different things around this and I read the famous preacher Charles Spurgeon back in 1855. He shared his thoughts on this disappointing decree that showed up in their lives by Caesar Augustus. He he was a very prolific, eloquent speaker. He says, we cannot pass away from this was he's talking about Caesar Augustus and decree without another thought here, which is how wonderfully mysterious was that providence which brought Jesus Christ's mother to Bethlehem at the very time she was to be delivered. Naturally, Joseph and Mary would have remained at home. It was not at all likely that Mary would have taken a journey to Bethlehem while in so peculiar a condition. But Caesar Augustus issues a decree that they are to be taxed. Very well, then let them be taxed at Nazareth. No, it pleases him that they should all go to their home city. But why should Caesar Augustus think of it just at that particular time? Why then at that moment? Simply because while man devises his way, the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. Why? What a thousand chances as the world has it met together to bring about this event. But why is the census to be taken on that particular period? Suppose December, which he just throws out his mouth. Why not have it had, had it last October? And why could not the people be taxed where they were living? And was not their money just as good there as anywhere else? We may think it was Caesar's whim, but it was God's decree. And there's nothing great or little that is not from God or that by his good purposes he providentially allows God was fulfilling his word, his promise, the Messiah was to be born and would be born in Bethlehem. And Aspersion eloquently writes, the summer dust moves in its orbit, guided by the same hand which rolls the stars along. The dewdrops have their father and they trickle on the rose leaf as God bids them. In the great and in the little, there is God. God in everything, working all things according to the counsel of his own will. Everything is of God and unto him who guides the stars, wings the sparrows, who rules the planets, yet way moves the atoms, who speaks thunders and yet whispers zephyrs. Unto him be glory for God. He is in everything. He is in. He is in your life right now. He is ruling. That's what Christmas is about. The word is clear. Even what appears to be a disappointment disrupting our plans, this same event in the hands of God holds joy because of what he has appointed. It is a joy above and beyond. So as the writer Hebrews says to those discouraged and ready to give up, he says, keep your eyes on Jesus, who both began and finished this race we're in. Study how he did it. Because he never lost sight of where he was headed. That exhilarating finish in and with God, he could put up with anything along the way. Think about it. How about for you? Study the life of Jesus. He knew where he was going. He knew about this God. Cross, shame, whatever. And now he's there in the place of honor right alongside God. And so when you find yourself flagging in your faith, go over that story again, item by item, that long litany of hostility he plowed through that will shoot adrenaline into your souls. And finally, there's this last part, which I, I, I talk about life 
absurdities. They're divine absurdities. You find joy in these divine absurdities. You see the disruptions, the disappointments, and then there are these what I call these kind of discrepancies that come along. These these paradoxes is what the Bible calls them. The Christmas story is full of them. In fact, the entire life of a believer is full of these kind of divine absurdities. See, a paradox is an apparent contradiction which conceals a profound truth. And the Bible is just filled with these. We triumph by first surrendering to God. We find freedom in becoming Christ's bondservants. We are made great by becoming little. We gain through giving. We become wise by becoming fools for Christ's sake. We can only truly live if we die to self. We see, look at, we see the unseen through what? Faith. Yet the greatest paradox in the entire Bible is found in the birth of Jesus Christ. During the time of Jesus' birth, Caesar Augustus was the ruler of the world. He possessed absolute power, had incredible wealth. Yet even with all of his earthly authority and riches, Caesar was just a man. He was not the leader of the largest empire. Jesus, when he came, when God himself came to earth, wasn't the leader of the largest empire in this world. He was born as a poor and obscure child in Bethlehem. The pagan man Caesar was at the height of power. The God-infant Jesus was at the depth of helplessness. Caesar was the wealthiest man on earth. Jesus was one of the poorest. Caesar slept in a Roman palace on a golden bed covered with fine linen. Jesus slept in a manger bundled in slaughtering clothes. Jesus endured a human earthly birth so that everyone who follows him can undergo a spiritual heavenly birth. Jesus found no room at the end. Yet he said, in my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. Jesus became a member of the human family so that those who love him can become members of his heavenly family. Now, when you think of these kind of what I call paradoxes and divine absurdities, you almost have to laugh because there's a joy in this. When we, we, we learn to laugh sometimes at what appears to be small or humble or what first shows up to be a small beginning. Or may think is, is weak or helpless or what is foolish or simple. And as you look at the divine absurdities of Christmas, you find that we should not judge if you look at the Christ story by appearance because God hid his greatest gift in a humble package. And we should not judge an end by its beginning because the babe was born in a manger fully helpless in dependence. And we should not judge too quickly for what was most helpless may soon become the most powerful in the hand of God. And I think of it, it's just like God. It allows for you to kind of laugh in the sense if you can look at your circumstances and look at where you're at and you begin to see that God has this incredible ability to work through what I call divine absurdities. Things that we look at and we go, but it seems so helpless. We seem so poor. It seems like such a small beginning. It seems like by the appearance of things, it doesn't seem like it's much of anything at all. But these divine absurdities in your life are just the way of God. And it's the hope that you hold on to that this God is in it. This God entered in, and he's still with you. Think of the people God uses. I think of Paul, who persecuted the church, becomes the greatest promoter of the church. You, have, you almost got to laugh at that. You call the places that God works. He works in some of the most absurd places. Charles Colson, think of him. Some of you remember him. Nixon's, Nixon's hatchet man in the White House is thrown into jail because of his involvement in Watergate scandal. What does he become? He becomes the greatest 
the greatest um, uh, reformer of prisons internationally. So you think of the people God uses, you think of the places God works, and then you think about the circumstances that God works. And this one's personal for me. I have in my Bible, in, in Psalm chapter 119, verse 17, a little notation next to it. It just says, Great Grandma Reef's Life Verse. My grandmother used to tell me about my great-grandmother, and she'd tell me how her mother found this incredible health through her illness. It's great absurdity that in her illness she'd find the greatest life. She had Parkinson's disease, and she was bedridden for so many years, and my, my grandmother would take care of her. But she says it was through this illness that she found a personal relationship with God. Through reading the Bible, she came to know the living God. And so these words in Psalm 119, verse 17, where I've just marked next to it, Grandma Reef's, uh, Great Grandma Reef's life verse, is just these words. It was good for me to be afflicted so that I might learn your decrees. And the absurdity of it all, on a bed of illness, in a jail cell, or on a dirty, dusty road, each of these individuals found the greatest gift they could imagine, in the sense their call this love of God in their heart and lives. So in every disruption, every disappointment, every bit of absurdity, beyond it all was God. He's in charge. He remains in charge. And this hope, this very real reality, which is not something we're denying when we see the things in front of us, but the reality that anchors us to everything that happens in life is something far greater. And it's, it's just shown us in this Christmas story that God has intervened and God is alive and God loves you. God knows your situation. He's not surprised by the disruption. He has an appointment in what you might think is a disappointment. What may seem really absurd to you in the way things are going, in the way the things you would like them to go, and it's not going what you would normally see, what appears. You look at the Christmas story and you go, you know what, let's not too quickly judge appearances. Let's not too quickly look at beginnings and, and, and think there's nothing great in the end. Let's be really careful when we look at that which is helpless, because that which might be helpless might... In, in in itself have the most power of God in it. And he says, take joy. Your life is in this loving God's hand. It's not happiness. It's joy. So there's a few things I just want to share with you. Joy is a choice. This is something I wrestle with all the time. I know in those times when I, when I come into those places, I can allow my own emotions, um, due to my own past history and different things, to, to, to take away and, and to, in a sense, suck out all the joy. But ultimately, joy is not something that you, is like an emotion. Um, it is not some kind of feeling. It is, the, it is the feeling and emotion that comes from something that you know is true. It's a lot like love when they stand and I, and I do weddings before people. I go, you know, you know, we all say it, right? You, you, you know, romance and love. It's a great feeling that maybe brought you guys together. But you know what? If you're going to just depend on that as being the basis for your staying together, you're going to be in trouble, right? Joy is a choice. And it's based on this very simple truth that this God so loves you that he intervened into this world. This God also has you in his hands. And if it were not so, the Bible would not. Do you know how many times the Bible uses the commandment to be joyful? To choose, to trust, 
this hope that in that brings joy. The second thing I just want to share with you, joy can be cultivated. You can actually, you know, the choice of it is, is difficult, but the, the ability to begin to live a life that becomes joyful, so it's not just a spot kind of momentary thing, but the kind of life that begins to, to find its anchor in this choice done again and again on the truth of what God has to say can be, can be cultivated. You can actually develop disciplines, you know, like practice makes perfect when you heard that when you were learning an instrument. There is actually, according to the Word of God, a practice. You can read God's Word on a daily basis. You can memorize promises that defeat the lies that come into your life. You can choose to pray like it says in Philippians 4, 6, and 7. You can commit to hang around joyful people. The company you keep matters. You can serve others. A little child got it right when it was asked by an adult, did you get everything you wanted for Christmas? And the child thought for a moment and said, well, no, but then it's not my birthday. <laughs> when you start realizing, you know, it's about, it is really about serving others. There's a joy that comes from that. And joy not only is a choice and this can be cultivated, the last thing I'm going to say, it is contagious. And I believe God calls us to be people who are joyful because there are people around you who don't know the truth. I can choose to, and you can choose to, and we can choose to live without that joy, but that very joy is, the, is what God uses to touch the hearts of other people. You may think it's the message that you're going to share with them about Christ. The thing that attracts people more than anything is the, is the contagious, infectious sense of joy in your heart and life because it's not necessarily by your circumstances, but there's a deep, steady sense of peace that allows for you to have joy that as you live this life, People go, I want that. That's what I want. There's one last little video we'll play it here. Um, because it's, it's just one of these that I think is um, it's just contagious. I'm serious. Andrea showed me that a few weeks back, and I just, as we kind of were preparing this message and everything, I just thought to myself, honestly, I think at times God just goes, ah, oh, I just wish you'd just laugh. I like this father going, boop. I'm here. I love you. And, and, and you know what? Jesus said, become like a child. May we do it this Christmas with this childlike hope. Christ has come. He's been born. I just ask you, have you had him born in your own heart? Has he been born into your life experience right now? He just so wants to um, give birth to all those things in your heart and cause that to grow up in him. And some of you, 
I kind of want to just scold you a little bit like I would myself. It's time to choose joy. It's time to not grumble at your circumstances. It's time not to be ungrateful for all that God has given you. It's time to cultivate joy. Because it's infectious and contagious. And it will reach people's hearts. Let's stand and pray. Father, the greatest gift that you give us is you're a, you're a dad and we're like these little little kids sitting in high chairs. I mean, who are we to think even our most profound wisdom and our most, um, what we would consider the greatest skills and our creativity, whatever it is, who are we compared to you? And yet, who are you that you would so love us that our whole lives would be within your hands? If your heart's open to that, would you just say, God, I just ask you to come into my life. Jesus, I ask you to move into my heart and to begin to live in my experience. Forgive me for my um, sins, for my lack of trusting this Father. And maybe you've never heard that this Father loves you like this. Just enter into his presence and invite him in and, and commit your heart and soul to him. This Christmas, we pray. Amen.